Amen. Thank you, Eric. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer at this time? Father, we agree with the psalmist this morning when he says, I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth. Lord, even as we believe and know this to be true, our hearts are often broken and grieved by what we see in our world. We know that you are writing a grander and greater story than we can even imagine. A story that will ultimately proclaim your matchless glory that will press on through all of eternity. We pray that you might help us this morning to feel the warmth of this truth. The cold winds howl and the dark clouds are engulfing us and the land trembles and shakes, but you, Lord, are able to fill our hearts with peace and comfort and joy of an unfailing hope. Lord, we pray for our community. We are blessed by abundant provision, and yet these blessings can easily become obstacles to your truth. We may even allow comforts and material possessions to become gods. Give us eyes to see clearly through the fog of materialism. Show us our depravity and our desperate need for you. Use us. Lord, use us to proclaim this truth and to live what we claim to believe. Lord, I pray this morning for our sister churches gathering all over this community, Lord, and even around the world. We think of those that are local, that we have special relationships with. We pray that you would empower every preacher today to expose sin and offer gospel hope. Lord, I pray for Clint and for Jared and for J.B. and Aaron, for Trent and Troy and Keith and Matt and Steve and Manny. Do a great gospel work in and through them this morning and across our city. Fill our churches with true disciples, desperate for your glory. Lord, we shudder at the idea of being broken branches of being separated from you. Give us hearts that hunger to have your grace flowing, even coursing through us. Prune us that your fruit may abound in us and your people all throughout Atlanta. Make Milton Community Church a pleasing reflection of your glory. Send us out as laborers in this massive harvest field. Lord, supply our needs. Supply laborers. Supply obedient hearts. Supply financial resources. Supply giftings and talents and abilities. We ask not for our glory, but for your honor, for your pleasure, or to make your name great among all people. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Well, this month we have been revisiting our mission statement. Mission statements can be helpful. They can be important to a church. Or they can be reduced to mere platitudes and marketing strategies. They sound, they look good, but they fail to serve any kind of spiritual purpose. We're spending time this month on this matter because there are basically three or four reasons that we felt like this was important. One, we've only been a church for six months. We're new. Only together for six months. So we're kind of starting fresh. This is our first calendar year together. So we're beginning a new calendar year together as a new church. And you should know our mission statement has been designed to help direct us, to give us, give us a target, to give us a path that we're to follow. So it is to have purpose, not just be a marketing strategy or empty platitudes. We want to know it, we want to believe it, and we want to put it into practice. And so you'll hear it until it becomes like the air you breathe, just something that's second nature to you. What is our mission statement? Luke asked you that question a couple of weeks ago. We've been talking about it, referring to it. It's printed in your worship handout every week. It's on our website. Uh, We're without excuse, right? We have no excuses for not knowing what it says. Milton Community Church exists to love God according to His Word. We exist to love one another by His grace, and we exist to make disciples for His glory. This is the lens through which we consider every ministry, every activity that we do. This is the goal. This is the purpose. Not just something that we have written down that looks nice, but that we use it as a filter. So every time we're considering an opportunity, and listen, there are multitudes of opportunities that are good in and of themselves. But we want to be lean and focused Staying on God's purpose for this church. He's done a lot to bring us to this point. We believe it's up to us to stay on track and not drift apart, drift in a different direction. So we will continue to evaluate every opportunity through this mission statement. We're looking today in John chapter 15. For a couple of reasons primarily. Number one, it emphasizes true discipleship. Last week we talked about creating a culture of discipleship here. Discipleship's twofold. Yes, it is the learning, the growing, the teaching aspect of the things of God, but it's also the evangelism. It's the spreading the gospel. It is inviting people to follow Christ. You have to be a sheep before you're going to be a good sheep. You can't be a goat and try to be a sheep. The two just don't work together. So John 15 emphasizes true discipleship here. It gives us a picture of this. And it also provides a proper understanding of true fruitfulness, which is another important aspect behind creating a culture of discipleship, is being fruitful. We want to be fruitful for the Lord, right? Not just for our own 
sake, not for our own sense of pride, but we want to be fruitful for the Lord's sake, for His glory. Fruit that remains, John talks about. Fruit that abides. Now there's a couple of terms, a couple of phrases in this chapter, or in this section that Eric just read for you, that that we're going to think about primarily this morning. First of all, abide in. Abide in. This is a phrase that occurs in this passage that, that Eric read ten times. So we can probably assume it's important, don't you think? John makes much of abiding. In, in his gospel, he mentions it some 40 times in the whole gospel. He mentions it again some 24 times in the first letter that he wrote, 1 John. And then four more times in 2 John and Revelation. 68 times John mentions abiding. The whole New Testament mentions it 118 times. So John uses it some 60% of those times. It's an important term in John's thinking, in his mind, abiding. And I will remind you that John began as probably the youngest of the disciples, maybe a teenager at the time that Jesus was conducting his ministry. And John is the one that always seems to be closest to Jesus, leaning into Jesus, leaning against Jesus' breast, his shoulder. He is the one that maybe sparked a little jealousy for Peter in John chapter 21. Peter wanted to look at him, and Jesus said, don't worry about him. You just worry about doing what I've asked you to do. There's a special relationship, and John seems to be able to capture that by talking about abiding in Christ. This is something very close, near to his heart. The word means to continue. It means to dwell. It means to remain, to stay at it, to stay connected abiding in, remaining, waiting even. And then the other word, the other term that's used here a lot, some eight times, is the word fruit. Fruit. Abiding and fruit, they go together. Abiding and fruit, they travel in the same path. Some of you are aspiring, maybe even to the level of amateur farmers. And uh, you're going to be thinking already about that growing season that's coming up, and you're going to plant tomato vines, or you may already have some grape vines on your property, or you're going to plant cucumber vines. And you do that, why? Because they look pretty? Do you really plant tomatoes so you can look at those little yellow flowers as they blossom, and you pick those little yellow flowers and make a little vase and put it on your kitchen table? You all know what I'm talking about when I say a, a tomato bloom, right? I mean, it's about the size of a quarter on its best day. No, you don't raise them because they're attractive in appearance. You raise them, why? You expect them to provide fruit, do you not? If a tomato vine is not going to produce tomatoes, what's the point in having it? What's the point in doing all that work? What's the point in giving it a spot in the soil on your property? There isn't one. A grapevine's the same way. If it doesn't produce grapes, then what's the point in having it? If a cucumber vine doesn't produce cucumbers, it's not worth having. We can think of that in terms of fruit trees, apple trees, peach trees, fig trees. You have them because you expect them to produce fruit. 
And there are certain things, conditions that will be met before fruit will occur. I want to read a portion of this text that Eric read for you from a couple of different translations. And I want you to listen very carefully to how the writers interpret what's going on here. The first comes from the Amplified Translation of the Scripture. And I'm not encouraging you to go out and buy an Amplified Bible. In fact, it's not a great study Bible. It's a good, it's a good resource, a supplement to read occasionally that will help you maybe give you a little more clarity into the text. But just listen carefully. The Amplified Translation, I'm beginning with verse 4. Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. In other words, live in me, and I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, that is, being vitally united to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much or abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. If a person does not dwell in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers. And such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and they are burned. If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. When you bear or produce much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified, and you show and prove yourselves to be true followers of mine. I have loved you just as the Father has loved me, Abide in my love, continue in his love with me. If you keep my commandments, if you continue to obey my instructions, you will abide in my love and live on in it, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and live on in his love. I have told you these things, that my joy and delight may be in you, and that your joy and gladness may be a full measure and complete and overflowing. Now I would encourage you to listen to J.B. Phillips' modern English translation. Listen to how he phrases this. You must go on growing in me, and I will grow in you. For just as the branch cannot bear any fruit unless it shares the life of the vine, so you can produce nothing unless you go on growing in me. I am the vine itself. You are the branches. It is the person who shares my life and whose life I share who proves fruitful. Well, the plain fact is that apart from me, you can do nothing at all. The person who does not share my life is like a branch that is broken off and withers away. He becomes just like the dry sticks that men pick up and use for firewood. But if you live your life in me and my words live in your hearts, you can ask for whatever you like and it will come true for you. This is how my Father will be glorified. In your becoming fruitful and being my disciples. I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. You must go on living in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. I have told you this so that you can share my joy and that your happiness may be complete. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful commentary coming from Christ 
He tells us our purpose. He tells us how he's going to accomplish this purpose. He tells us this, this grand purpose is going to be for our joy and our contentment. Complete in him. This is how we should understand the text. How we should allow it to communicate to us. There are five or six things I want to point out from the text for us this morning. Just as a way of kind of trying to fill in some of the need around the bricks. So that it takes a firm shape in our lives. First of all. We want to unpack this abiding idea somewhat. First of all, there is abiding. Abiding is believing. Abiding is believing. Abiding in Christ is trusting all God is for us in Christ. Abiding in Christ is trusting all God is for us in Christ. That is a mouthful. That's so vast and unlimited. Being in the vine means receiving all that is available in the vine. You get that, right? Being in the vine means everything that Christ is, is available to me, to you. John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believing is receiving Christ into the soul. It is welcoming him, trusting him, relying completely on him. And him is all that he is. Everything that he is. It's drinking and eating and savoring him. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Believing is attaching to Jesus, a receiving from Him. It's trusting and remaining in fellowship with Him. It's connecting to Jesus so that all that God is for us in Him is flowing in a life-giving way in and through us. Abiding is believing, trusting, savoring, resting, and receiving. Abiding is believing. Secondly, abiding is knowing and experiencing God. Abiding is knowing and experiencing God. Jesus is specific in this text about what flows between the vine and the branch. He mentions His Word, He mentions His love, and He mentions His joy. All things that offer us everything we desire in this world. His Word, His Word is life. His Word is hope. His Word is satisfaction. His Word is wisdom. His Word is the way into the Father. His love and His joy. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 15, 9, or John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in this love. Remain in this love. Don't stray from this love. Drop anchor and stay there. 
John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may blossom and become full. Abiding in Him is receiving, it's believing, it's trusting, it's loving His Word. It means we receive Jesus' love for the Father, we receive Jesus' love for His people, it means we receive Jesus' joy in the Father and in us. Paul says something similar to this in Galatians on a couple of occasions. In chapter 3 of Galatians, he said, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit? And again in verse 5, or chapter 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy as we hear and trust in the promises of Christ. Abiding has eternal significance. It has eternal significance. Spiritual eternal significance is not possible apart from abiding. There are lots of things that we could do as a church. Lots of things that may grab the attention of the community, may grab the attention of passers-by that may draw them in and want them to come in and be a part of it. But without abiding in Christ, the fruit will not remain. It will perish. It will perish. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're not dealing with something that's marginal or optional here. Without Christ's life flowing in us, we will be barren. Nothing of lasting value will come of it. How many of you had a Christmas tree this year? Come on, come on. you can admit it, it's all right. You had a Christmas tree at home. You spent time, someone spent time decorating that tree, didn't you? You made the tree look very pleasing to the eye. And you could leave that tree up for a long time and it would continue to look good. But you know what? That tree didn't serve any long-term purpose, did it? How many of you harvested crops off that tree? You got produce off your tree. An apple or a fig, someone's out there going to be a smart aleck and say, well, I got candy canes off mine. But you got them, why? Because you put them there. That tree has no staying power. It's no staying power because there's no life flowing through it. It's not abiding in the soil. There's not sap flowing up through the main portion of the tree into the branches and producing anything that remains. Sometimes that's the way we approach religion, is that we do it in our own strength. We put together something that looks good to the eye, but it has no endurance. It doesn't remain. It doesn't abide. Abiding has eternal significance. When we abide in Him, God does things through us that we may not recognize are taking place, and He does it according to His pleasure, His will, and He promises that these things will remain not just for a day or a week or a decade or even a century, but eternally. If it's a work of the Spirit, it's going to work forever. 
Abiding reveals fruit that proves we belong to Christ. When you abide in Christ and the fruit is produced in us and through us, it gives evidence that we belong to Christ, that we're in Christ. If there's no fruit, there's no evidence that there is life at all. John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so what? Verse 8, look at it, it's very important. By this, what? Abiding, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. Abiding in life, love, joy, the fruits that God produces in us, Prove that we are His disciples. We are His followers. Lots of people walk around claiming to be Christ followers. But they walk around dragging along behind them an empty wagon. Because they're not abiding in Him. The Spirit's not producing fruit through them. You can claim anything verbally. You can even decorate the external portion of who we are with things that may look like fruit, which is what a lot of churches do in our culture today. But it's that spiritual fruit that remains forever. And it proves that we belong to Christ. And the negative is also true. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. John 15, 1 through 2 says, if anyone doesn't bear fruit, he's taken away. He's taken away. He's proven to be false. So does this mean we can lose our salvation? Does this mean that you can lose your salvation? In John's understanding of abiding, the answer is no. He gives us two reasons in his writing, in this gospel, why the answer is no. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, listen to what he says. Jesus says here, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He's clearly saying, when I choose someone for myself, they hear my voice, I take them to be my sheep and my children, and that will never change. He changes the nature. Every one of you here today are here because you can point back to a time, a day when you were physically born into this world, right? You have an existence. Nothing can ever undo that. You may die, you may go away, but no one can ever undo that history. You can't go back to your womb. Nicodemus asked that question, right? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It can't happen. And Jesus says when you're born again by the Spirit, there's no going back. I'm not playing games here, he says. When I give you new birth, you become mine. The Father has given you to me. 
I put you in my hand and I close my hand about you and the Spirit of God puts His hand over this and seals it. And the Father holds, and He says, no one can snatch you away. There is no power anywhere who can pry you loose from my hands. You belong to me. We can't lose our salvation. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that these broken branches were never attached to the vine. They were never grafted in. They were never truly alive. John writes this, he addresses this in his first letter. Verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, But they were not, there were the people there were concerned because some people had left, they'd gone out of the physical church and people were saying, what about these people who have departed from us? And he says, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued. That is, they would have remained, they would have continued to abide. But they didn't. They went out that it might become evident, that it might become plain that they are not of us. They're not of us. I was walking up the steps there this morning, and there were laying out there in various places lots of limbs. You know, the wind's constantly blow, blowing, and these limbs appear. And you pick them up, and they're brittle, and they're dead, and there's no life in them, right? They're broken off. They're not attached. There's no sap flowing through them. And there's no hope of any life there ever. At this point, you, can't, you couldn't begin to try to graft them. You could glue them to the tree. You can tape them, you know, using, using that magical duct tape, right? You might make them look like they belong to the tree that they're attached, but they're not. And there will be no fruit there. And he says the lack of fruit gives evidence of that. The broken branches were never regenerate. Thus they are fruitless. They are empty of life. They fall away from the church, but they never were really a part of the true church. Abiding. Abiding does include providential pruning. Abiding includes providential pruning. The branches are being cared for both internally by the life of Christ flowing in us and externally by the vine dresser who carefully prunes. Who prunes. Jesus says in John 15, 1-2 here, He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is something that uh, it's taken me a long time to come to grips with and to appreciate. For instance, I'll go back to my aspiring to be a productive tomato farmer. I'm not very good at it, Craig. I need some lessons. I need some help. But I do know this. My, my granddaddy used to teach me that you had, to, you had to prune those vines in order to move the flow of sap in the right direction so that, you know, you get the best fruit from it. If you just let the tomato vine do whatever it wants, you may get a few tomatoes along the way, but they'll be small and maybe not as tasty and all those kind of things as you would like for them to be. 
but a skillful pruner keeps the sap moving in the right direction, the blooms coming forth, reducing the number of tomatoes in order to have better quality tomatoes. Now that's hard for us to do. We, in fact, we can't do it. We can't act that way upon ourselves. We have no idea. But God can. God can skillfully do this. He brings out the scissors and He prunes. He clips. Now, when you prune something, what's happening? You're cutting, aren't you? You're cutting. You're cutting something off that's attached. You're taking something away that's a part of who you are. That's, that's, that's part of your essence. That's going to be painful, isn't it? It's going to be painful. And we don't necessarily like it. We just soon God leave us alone. But He says He is skillfully pruning branches that are already productive that they might produce even more fruit, might be more productive. And He does it in His wisdom. These painful providences in life we experience that we might be made more productive in Christ. Abiding means providential pruning in our lives. Abiding also Abiding in Him also means that we glorify God. The goal of abiding is the glory of God. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We are not the vine. We are dependent branches grafted into the vine. This assures us that the glory belongs to God, to the vine, to the one that produces the sap flowing through us, not us. We just become the conduit through which He's working. So, to summarize this. First, John talks to us about union with Christ, that it depends upon His grace and only His grace. God's doing this in us and through us. We're actively and personally united to Christ by faith. Faith itself is rooted in the activity of God. And God, as the divine gardener, has grafted us into Christ and by His Word has cleansed us for union with Himself. Secondly, union with Christ means we're being obedient to Him. Abiding involves responding to the teaching of Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, He says. Paul wrote about this to the Colossians, didn't he? He said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And in Ephesians 5 that we've been studying together, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Abiding in Christ means we allow His Word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. Abiding. Abiding in Him. He says, thirdly, we should abide in His love. The believer rests his or her life on the love of Christ. Remaining in Christ's love has a concrete expression here. We don't drift from this daily contemplation of the cross of Christ. This is His demonstration of love for us. And it needs to remain before us continually. Simple obedience to Him is the fruit and evidence of love for Him. 
And also he tells us abiding means we submit to the pruning knife of God. He cuts away disloyalty. He cuts away all of the dead wood. All the things that would draw energy or distract from what God is doing in us and for us and through us. There's a great picture of this in Psalm 1. It's one of my favorite psalms. It reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is when what? The law of God. In the word of God. And on his word he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that's planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now that doesn't mean he gets rich. He prospers. It means he is blessed. He is filled with joy. He feels and enjoys God's favor. You remember the, uh, this is before a lot of your time, you ever seen Chariots of Fire? You remember the central character that he was, you know, he was born fast and he was celebrating that and you know, he thought he was, he was encouraged by others that he needed to give that up and walk away from it. And, he, and you remember what he said? He said something to this effect, and I'm, I'm just kind of paraphrasing it. But he said, I was born fast. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I feel God's pleasure. When I'm doing what God has built me to do, and I'm doing it in honor to Him, I'm doing it in the power of His Spirit working in me, I sense and know God's pleasure and favor. This is prosperity. This is prosperity. This is what's good. This is what we aspire to. And this is what manifests and reflects the glory of God that others may see. They see that pleasure. They see that joy. They see His glory. It's said that George Frederick Handel Comprised, composed the amazing musical The Messiah in approximately three weeks. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? It was apparently done as he was losing his eyesight and he was facing the possibility of being in prison because of outstanding bills. Yet he kept on writing in the midst of these challenges till the masterpiece was completed. He later credited the completion of the work to one ingredient, and that ingredient was joy. He was quoted as saying that he felt as if his heart would burst with joy at what he was hearing in his mind. And sure enough, listening either to the entire work of the Messiah or to its infamous Hallelujah Chorus brings great joy to one's heart, doesn't it? Similarly, in the midst of many challenges he faced, including chains, imprisonment, and slander, the Apostle Paul, filled with joy that Christ gives, could say in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice. You do this, you can do this, you're able to do this, you bask in this, you run in the favor of God as you abide in Him. You can't produce it on your own. 
the circumstances around you are not going to produce it. In fact, they're going to work to undermine it and to strip it away. But as we abide in Him, we won't be a successful church by anything that we can construct and conspire in and of ourselves in our own human ingenuity. We can do this only as we run in a way that we feel the pleasure of God when we're obedient to Him, abiding in Him, being disciples, abiding in Christ. And God will produce the fruit. This is His promise to us. And as He produces the fruit, He pulls the veil back and glorifies Himself for everyone to see. That's what we want at Milton Community Church. That's what Milton Community desperately needs to see. Not a great church. They need to see the glory of God. They don't need to see lots of wonderful programming. They need to see the glory of God. They need to hear the gospel of God. They need to be changed by the power of God. And that's only going to happen through His Spirit working in us and through us. Father, we thank You and bless You for who You are. Great and mighty are You. Lord, thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises that You offer us. Lord, make us the church You want us to be right here in this place where You have carefully planted us. May your Spirit fill us and flow through us. Lord, for the sake of so many who are perishing, and Lord, for the honor of your great name, make us be what you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.